0: 2 weeks ago tonight we began a series of lessons called Battle for Belief. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5, Paul said though we live in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty toward God. And then he goes on to emphasize that we are in a battle for the minds of men to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's our job to try to reach out to the world and show the world how to believe in God. In that same lesson, we observed that you have to begin where people are in their understanding. Some people in their understanding is they accept the Bible, they allow it to be the guide in their life, and if that is the case, that is where we must begin. On the other hand, there are people who do not yet believe the Bible. In fact, before that, they do not even believe in God, and that's the reason why last Sunday evening we addressed the subject of God is. Tonight we're going to address specifically the idea of creation versus evolution. I will tell you that I am going to go through this material as fast as I can. I took my time and went through it this past summer with a congregation in Sparta, and I spent almost two hours presenting it. So I will not uh, go that slow tonight, and I but I am going to present. The majority of the material, I have pared it down some, but I want us to do two things in our lesson tonight. Number one, I want to look at four fatal flaws in evolution, and then I want to look at four fundamental truths in creation. And so we want to begin, first of all, with some understanding of the fact that we live in a world where this is a hot topic. Whether you're looking at Charles Darwin's Origin of the Species or Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion, this is a very current topic. In fact, if you go back and you look at the Gallup poll from June the first, 2012, less than a year ago, they asked the question of people, are we here as the product of God's divine creation, or are we here as a part of God creating this world and using evolution in order to bring about the world we have? Or did we here, are we here simply because of evolution in an organic way? If you look at the chart before you, and I'm not sure if you can read it, but 46% this last year said that they believe that we're here as a product of divine creation. That tells us that we have got a lot to do in trying to teach the people here in the United States about this very topic. I want to begin with some definitions, some distinctions. The word creation carries with it the idea of bringing something into existence. In fact, there's some specific words that are used, and that is the ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. When we think of creation, we say, oh, look at that beautiful artwork that they created. They really didn't create it. They formed it. Because to create means to bring out of nothing. The word evolution means change. We can talk about an evolution in people's thinking. How that it has changed from what it used to be to what it is now. Specifically there is a distinction between what's called microevolution, which is small change. For instance, many of you may have a pet, a little dog. You may have one of a specific breed. The one I have is a West Highland White Terrier. It's all white. It became a breed because of special breeding techniques to bring about genetic dominant features. But it's still a dog. On the other hand, there's what's called macroevolution, where there's major changes that allow for the development of the species from one species to another or even a whole new species that has not been known before. The idea of evolution, of microevolution, we know happens. Macroevolution does not happen. Now let me point out to you that it's important for us to weigh the evolution the, um, the reason, the evidence for evolution. The Bible teaches us in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21 to prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. That means I'm supposed to test everything. And when I go to the book of Daniel chapter 5 and verse 24 as the ruler of Babylon was falling toward the end of his reign... There was a handwriting, a hand that appeared and, and wrote on the wall, and it wrote, as we read here, Mene, Mene, Tikal, Upharsan. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tikal, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. I believe that when you weigh the evidence, you will find evolution found wanting. The four fatal flaws that we will look at are, number one, spontaneous generation, number two, the second law of thermodynamics, number three, the fossil record, and number four, comparative anatomy. Now, you may say, I didn't come here for a science lesson tonight. Neither did I. But you have to realize that when error is taught and it raises itself against that which is known about God, you have to deal with it at least to some degree. Our young people are being confronted with this, and we need to prepare them for it. Spontaneous generation means that living organisms arrive from non-living matter. Perhaps you've heard of the primordial soup. They believe that all life came out of this soupy mess that was here before We have man and animals. And it was advocated by the great philosophers like Aristotle and was the view that held sway until the 19th century. But there was something that happened in the 19th century that made man reevaluate this. There was the experiments of Louis Pasteur from which we get our pasteurization process today. And he proved conclusively that life does not come from non-life. Specifically, he dealt with a number of experiments. Did maggots just form spontaneously or did they come from seed that was already there? And he proved conclusively that all life develops from seed, whether it is a germ, you know, the diseases that you might have, or various cells That's where life comes from, not because it just spontaneously generates. Now that evolutionists have realized this, there's a problem. They're frantic to find some mechanism by which you can have non-life, and now you have life. You may not know that the super collider that was going to be built in Texas and finally our country wised up to not waste money on that, it's now built over in Europe. And what they're in search of is called the God Particle. they called the Higgs boson. And all of this about is to try to find some means to explain life. Now that's not what they're going to tell you, but you will read further and that's where they're at. And that's what the evolutionist is trying to find. Some way to explain life or non-life. Right now, they have absolutely no explanation for it. Number two is what's called the second law of thermodynamics. It's technically called the law of increasing entropy. And you get these big words and you say, I don't know what they mean. The word entropy means to degrade, to dissipate. And what it simply means is is that things go to the point where they degrade. For instance, Ice melts. Heat dissipates. If you spin a a spinning wheel, it will eventually slow down to where it's no longer spinning. This world is wearing out. That's what the second law of thermodynamics says. That's the exact opposite of evolution. It alleges that natural selection, the survival of the fittest, that life is getting better and people are getting stronger and people are getting smarter and this world will eventually end up with the best and the brightest. But this proves that the world is not eternal. Let me give you a couple of examples. And this is very important to deal with a person who's an evolutionist. Number one, the magnetic poles. If you go to the north, there is what's called magnetic north. You may not know, though, that it is subject to all these laws of physics, the second law of thermodynamics, and the magnetic north is not as strong this year as it was last year. It wasn't as strong last year as it was the year before. It is degrading. You can prove this world is not eternal because if you go back to a certain period of time, the magnetism would have been so strong that it would have pulled all the magnetic metals like iron ore out of the mountains in North America. It didn't do that. That's proof positive that this world is not eternal. There's another thing. The sun is shrinking. It's a ball of fire. It's burning up. It is burning up at the rate of 5 feet per hour or 4 million tons per second. If you go back hundreds of thousands of years, life on this earth would have been unsustainable because this earth would have been too hot to live on. But the scientists don't want to tell you those things. You see, the second law of thermodynamics shows that evolution could not be true. The third thing is the fossil record. Now, if you talk to an evolutionist, one of the things they're going to tell you, well, look at the dinosaurs. We've dug up dinosaurs all over this world, and you people, you Bible believers, you're just stuck in the sand. You're stuck in the past. You're a bunch of, of you know, people who don't get it. And if you go to school, what they will do, they will show you a figure similar to this. And down at the bottom is bedrock, and then you have layers of soil and other types of soil. And they'll say that that's the way you study geology. I took a class in geology in college. And the illustration that's on the left shows you that you have layer A, B, C, D. You get all the way down to G. And that shows you that this layer is what happened here, this layer. And you may have a valley that goes through, but you still have those same layers on both sides of the valley. That's the figure on the right-hand side. And so scientists have come up with what they call the geologic timetable. If you look in the middle of this illustration, you'll see Paleozoic, Mesozoic, and Cenozoic. You probably remember those from when you were in school. And they say you go back in time, and there's certain things so many millions of years ago was in this part of the Earth's crust. And you go a little bit further, and, and it's more, and they say that you just have those layers. Now, I'm going to show you one that's not nearly as pretty, but a little bit larger. And you'll notice this one on the left the era, the Cenozoic, the Mesozoic, and the Paleozoic. And you will notice at the very top up there, they have one million years, and they have man on the right-hand side. And you go and you'll notice like 60 million years ago in the Cretaceous period you have reptiles and flowering plants. And you go back millions of years. And this is what they will teach you in school. In fact, this is taken from George C. Simpson's book The Meaning of Evolution, page chapter 12 or page 12 of that book. But the question is, what does the evidence say? This is what they're teaching your children. But does the evidence agree with what this says? Well, let me point out to you that you can go back to the tertiary period, which they say was 74 million years ago, and you can find a human skull. Hmm. Or you can go back to that period of time and you can find engraved letters on cave walls. So that means you have a writing. You go back to that period of time and you can find a thimble. Or you can go back to the crustaceous period and you can find human and dinosaur prints together. Or you can go back to that period and you can find human bones. Or you can go back to the Tirassic period and you'll find dinosaur carvings. Well, those were really smart dinosaurs. They carved pictures of themselves on those cave walls. You can go back to the Pennsylvanian period And all of those plants were really smart because they had spoons and other tools. Or you can go back to the Mississippian period and you can find human footprints. Or you can go back to the Cambrian stage, which they say was 80 million years ago, and you can find a trilobite in a human footprint. In other words, he stepped on him. And you can say, really? Really? This is major problems for the evolutionist, because you can go to Glen Rose, Texas. You can go yourself to the Paluxy Riverbed, and you can see side by side dinosaur tracks and human tracks. Or you can go to Delta, Utah, and you can find a trilobite stepped on and a fossil record of it. And since we got the screen, I'll show you a picture of it. This is the one from Glen Rose, Texas, and you can see the dinosaur tracks right next to the human tracks. Or you can go to Delta, Utah, and the evolutionist really hates this because the trilobite's not supposed to be living when a human, and yet you've got a human stepping on one, and you've got his footprint embedded together. What does that mean? That means that the geologic timetable is a farce. It's a fraud. That's a fatal flaw of evolution. Now, I just found this recently. This is the Ta Temple in Cambodia. It was built in the 12th century A.D. Carved on this temple in Cambodia are all the animals that were in their area that they found you come near to one of the doors of the temple, you'll notice I've got an arrow pointing toward it. And you get a little bit closer to it. You know what that is? That's a stegosaurus carved right into the temple wall on the 12th century A.D. Where do these people see a stegosaurus? There must have been one in their area. You see, the geologic timetable is not correct. And one more thing. There's something you do not find. Intermediate life forms. You would expect if you're digging down layer by layer by layer that you'd find something that's a cross between a man and a monkey. But you don't find that. You keep digging down, you might find something that was a cross between, for instance, a giraffe and an elephant. You don't find that either. There are no intermediate life forms. The fourth thing that is wrong is comparative anatomy. The evolutionists suggest that there are very close development between humans and other animals. You'll have a quote from the book textbook by Paul Bailey and a drawing by Ernest Haeckel, and it's titled The Riddle of the Night, the Universe at the Close of the Nineteenth Century, published in 1899. And they suggest that this means that we all evolved in the same way. I would suggest to you that means we all have a common designer, a common creator, and that's God. Listen to this textbook. The resemblance of many groups of vertebrate embryos in their early stages of development is interpreted as significant evidence for evolution. And then he goes on to talk about their developing of these pouches where they breathe from. Here's a picture of the book of Ernest Haeckel in 1899, and it was republished in 1998. So this is not something that's been abandoned by the evolutionist year ago and you know, say, well, we don't believe that anymore. This is still found in the textbook in 1998. Ernest Haeckel's contemporaries, the scientists on the faculty with him, pointed out that he misrepresented things. Number one, he didn't draw them as they actually were. Number two, he exaggerated things to make them look alike. And they have been exposed as being a fraud. But you see, what they want you to do is to believe what that showed you, and they'll tell your children, and they'll tell you that you evolved from them. The best arguments put forth by the evolutionists are false. False. And why do people accept it then? Because of intellectual intimidation. If you don't believe this, you're not smart. Well, very quickly, four faithful truths of creation: God created out of nothing. God, man made is made in the image of God. Each thing is made after its kind and with a purpose. Genesis one one: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word. Created is from the Hebrew word bara, which means to create out of nothing. It's not the same word to fashion or to form, which means to take something that you already have. God creates and he speaks things into existence. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. God spoke them into existence. And it demonstrates the power of God. Isaiah chapter 40 verses 28 through 31. Time will not permit me to read this, but I want you to understand there's nothing with God. He's not like people who faint and are weary, but He is one who is full of strength. Man is made in the image of God in Genesis 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God made us in His image. That makes man unique. We're not like the rest of the animal kingdom. We are rational beings with the capacity to make moral choices. We can love and we can choose to do what is right. We have a conscience that God placed within us that makes us above and dominate the animal kingdom. And such indicates why man's worth is greater than an animal. In Genesis 9, verse 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. That's what makes man special. The evolutionist cannot deal with that. At some point in time, an evolutionist must say that this animal over here has the same value... Is this child over here? Number three, after its kind. Genesis one eleven, Genesis one twenty one, and Genesis one twenty four each say that the plant, the fish, and the animal kingdom reproduce after their kind. That's a law of nature. Brother Ethan read that for us just a few moments ago. Corn produces corn. Tomatoes produce tomatoes. Humans produce humans. Now you can clearly observe that in life. You ask anybody, if I plant corn, what am I going to get? I'm going to get corn. But for the evolutionist, he can't say that. Evolution is not observable in life. There's only two possible choices for the evolutionist. He must say that at some point in time, something that was not human gave birth to a human. Or they must say something that at some point in life was not a human, it was walking along, all of a sudden it became human. That's the only two choices he has. Brother Thomas Warren debated Anthony Flew and Wallace Mattson. He beat them over the head with that topic. Because if you say that evolution is true, you have to have something of that sort. Purpose in life. Creation answers the most important questions in life. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Evolution says none of those mean anything. Deuteronomy 10, 12-13 And now Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of His ways, and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you this day for your good. God has shown us what life is all about. Creation makes sense. It explains the evidence that you and I see. Creation makes man responsible to his creator. People often deny the obvious because they do not like its obligations. People will say, No, that's not true. That's not right because they do not like where it leads. I realize that I have presented this extremely fast. There's a whole lot more that time could permit us to discuss, but I think you have gotten enough tonight to know that evolution is not even scientific. It's not even a good theory. It has four fatal flaws in it. Creation, on the other hand, is not only scientific, it's biblical and it makes sense. And those of us who are going to stand for God are going to have to stand for creation, not evolution and not theistic evolution. We're going to have to stand for the creation that comes and is revealed in God's holy word. Tonight, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to become one. If you do not at this point feel like you know enough, feel free to see me after services. We'll set a time and we'll study together so that you can learn. If you are a person who knows now what you need to do, when we sing an invitation song, you need to respond to come and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And if you're one of God's children, you look at your life and you recognize there's problems there and you want to make correction, then we urge you to do that. Would you respond as together we stand and sing?